Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. Good morning, church. My name is John Petrovics, and believe it or not, I grew up here. Well, not quite here, the old building over east uh, of where we're at right now. Also, I recall the old, old building in town, if some of you old school people remember that. Uh, so uh, I've been around for a while, but I've not been around here for a while. I've served at different churches for the past 30 years. Right now, I'm presently working in manufacturing, and uh, I'm pleased to be here today. Let me catch you up on the last 30 years really quick. Let me show you some of my family. Yeah, this is my oldest daughter, Rebecca, and her family, and uh, this was a trip that we took out west just uh, last week. Uh, the next picture is our youngest daughter, Rachel, and since she's not here, I can honestly tell you she's single, guys, just so you know. Uh, she'd be on the stage right now beating me to death for saying that, but uh, hey, you know, as a father, you can say what you want to say. Uh, and then our next picture, some of you may recognize some of these people. Uh, this is our middle daughter, Elizabeth, Jonathan, which you know, and uh, their little baby, Ada. And yes, if you're thinking right now that Ada looks nothing like Tim, I'd have to agree with you. I mean, that's just the way it is. But uh, we have appreciated the opportunity and the uh, bond that we've been able to share with the Stuarts, and uh, it's been a good time. So uh, a lot of these pictures, like I said, were taken last week. Um, during our family vacation out west, and it was coupled with a uh, family, friends, destination wedding. How many of you have been to any of those? Okay. And as many of you know, destination weddings ha have become extremely important due to one major reason, and that's simply because people want the experience, don't they? They want to be able to they want to be able to have something to post, something that they can show others. They want to be able to have the opportunity to create uh, something that is very, very amazing. And I, I think that that is true oftentimes. And have you ever noticed that the world is geared in that fashion? Almost down to minutia. Every minute of our day has to be important. It has to be vital. It has to be vibrant in our lives even to, to the point where we take questionable events and we try to make them an experience, right? Maybe to further prove that, not too long ago, we were looking for a new vehicle for our youngest daughter, Rachel. And uh, at the time she was driving my old 2000 Chevy Silverado, so it needed to be updated and upgraded. And we were able to settle on a little used SUV that we found at a used car lot. And we went to take care of the paperwork, and while we were there, we were amazed and astounded by the number of people that came up to us that were part of the, the uh, used car lot and said, congratulations on the purchase of your new car. As if spending thousands of dollars on something that's going to de depreciate as soon as we drive it off the lot, well, well that's a good thing, and it kind of confused me. 
I probably would be more inclined to say, congratulations, you're an idiot, right? But the good news was I wasn't the only idiot in that car dealership that day. There were other people buying cars, and of course you can't buy a car without putting out some money. Um, but later, I began asking myself why. Why would a car dealership or any other business, why would they, why would they congratulate you for doing something that's really, in a way, so mundane? And I came to the conclusion, actually a couple conclusions, first of all, they're the ones getting all the money, right? So they're happy to congratulate us in that. Uh, but secondly, they were trying to turn a difficult situation into a positive experience for us. Because aren't people all about positive experiences in our world today? That everything that we do is a major event, isn't it? That everything is bright and it's vital and it's meaningful and it has significance. And doesn't it scream to the rest of the world, wouldn't you like to be me? right? You probably noticed that that voice screams loudest in social media, where we see people who are consumed with portraying an image of, of who they are and who they want others to see them as. And it's no longer he who dies with the most toys wins, it's he who, he who dies with the most posts, the most likes, the most positive experiences. Well, that's the one who truly wins in life at this point in our world. And the idea that we all want to portray is that we are living large, that we are living the high life that we are on the mountaintop. And much of our lives are consumed with trying to portray that image in our world today. We're trying to create those mountaintop experiences. And who hasn't enjoyed a mountaintop experience or two, right? Some of mine have been rock climbing in Arkansas, going to the beach with my family and spending a week there. Uh, as I just mentioned, uh, being able to go to the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone going out west. Here's a, a family photo for you all that I'm posting for you right now. Okay, we had a great time. And don't mountaintop experiences, well, don't, don't they come along with our faith oftentimes in our lives as well? Where we are able to, to go to a church camp and have a wonderful event take place there. Many of you have been to the Christ and Youth Conferences We've done that before. A few years ago, we were able to go to, uh, to Jordan and uh, to Israel, and I was able to climb up top to Masada here and experience and look out over the Dead Sea, which is pretty impressive. And also, I was able to go to the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem and experience all the happenings that take place there. And those are some of my mountaintop spiritual experiences that I've had in my life. Times that I've felt close to God and times where I felt like he was speaking to me. And those are great times. And as we experience life, these are the times that we feel like we're really living on the mountaintop, aren't they? But we might think about this a little bit and think, well, what's maybe one of the major problems with any mountaintop experience? Isn't the problem the fact that at some point we have to come back down? Isn't the worst part of your vacation realizing on Friday that you have to go back to work on Monday, right? And no matter how far we go up, there comes a time when we're going to have to come back down. And this is where we find Jesus and his disciples in our story and our account today. If you have your Bible apps or a normal, regular, old-fashioned old Bible, grab, your, grab them, open them up, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 23. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of material this morning, so I would say strap in and hold on and, and let's get going with that. 
Uh, Jesus has just taken Peter, James, and John up onto a mountaintop for his transfiguration, which is just a, a fancy way of saying that he took them there and showed them a glimpse of who he really is. He disrobed his human flesh just for a moment and revealed his divine nature, and it was stunning. Peter, James, and John recognize that Jesus is both fully man, but also fully God here. And through this event, this is where we get this whole concept of a mountaintop experience. And on this mountaintop, much like in our lives, they have a faith-affirming experience. But now they come down into the valley where they're going to be seen and we're going to show that they are having a faith-shaking experience. And isn't that the way life often happens? You're, you're having a great time. You're, you're in the mountaintop. You have a faith-affirming experience in your life. But don't be surprised if you find that it won't be long before you come down to the valley where your faith will be tested. And let's pick up the account there in verse 14. There it says, When Jesus returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and the teachers of the law are arguing with them. And so the first question in our account here is, what are they arguing about? What's going on here? Well, in a way, no one really knows. And isn't that kind of funny? Mark is able to give us all kinds of details in his gospel account and, and showing us what's going on and telling us what's happening here in the life of Jesus. And here we find that he doesn't give us any information. What are they arguing about? Why doesn't he share that? And I would dare say that Mark doesn't share that information simply because the subject of the argument really wasn't that important. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and, and notice who sees that Jesus is there first. It says, when the crowd saw Jesus. So we have these religious elite, these leaders and the disciples who are caught up in this argument, and Jesus walks right up behind them, and they don't even notice we don't know what they're arguing about, but what we do know is that the religious leaders and the disciples had taken their eyes off of Jesus. And they've taken their eyes off of why they were there, the purpose of this event. And as we'll see in our text later, it was to help those who were in need. And as a church, when you get to be a guest speaker, you get to hit people between the eyes and you can run away and get away with it. Let me do that to you right now. I think as a church, we need to take ownership of the fact that so much of the world's faith has been eroded because we as the church, well, we've downplayed the importance of our Savior. We've downplayed the purpose of his coming, and we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. And we've occupied our time with a lot of foolish things rather than bringing others to Christ. And I think that's why Jesus prayed for you and me in John chapter 17, where he said, May they be one, Father, just as you are in me, and I in you. Going on, verse 16, Jesus asks, What are you all arguing about? Obvious question here, but notice who answers in verse 17. Was it the religious leaders? No. Wasn't the Pharisees? Was it the disciples? No, it wasn't them. And why didn't they not answer their Lord? Well, could it be because they realize how foolish their argument was all about and for us what do we hold dear or important because none of us would argue over the color of the carpet here in the building right we wouldn't do that no one would argue about who's in charge of the kitchen here right no one would fight with someone because well they're sitting in my seat that's where I sit every Sunday come on 
especially when there are people who are in need. And are the things that you value, and I'm speaking of myself as well, are the things that you value, would they be the things that Jesus would value? So get the picture here, these religious elite some who possibly just came from the synagogue where they were studying and worshiping and learning and the disciples who had been traveling with Jesus for months now are all debating with one another over whatever. And this man steps up and says, I don't care who's right. I just want someone to help me and my son. And church, the world really doesn't care about our own little factions and our arguments and our own personal problems and whose side is right. I've often said, unfortunately, most people don't care about doctrine in a church. And that's unfortunate because it should be important, but most people don't care about the doctrine of a church. They only care about whether we have an answer to their problems. And the church has been distracted through the years with who's right and who's wrong and whose technique is better instead of actually bringing people to Jesus. And this man here, this father, is just begging someone to help him. I know that there are people here today that are praying that same prayer. I just want Jesus to help me. I want Jesus to fix what is broken in my life. I don't care about the arguments. I don't care about the theological discussions or the details as to why Jesus is the answer. They just want to know if Jesus truly is the answer. And it's easy to get caught up in the details, isn't it? To get caught up in the how and the why and in the why, we forget about what's really important. And I think that's why Jesus takes the disciples to the mountaintop for the transfiguration here to show them who he is, that he is truly God in the flesh. And those mountaintop experiences that we have, that we're blessed with, we need them, don't we? They're important to us. They help build our faith and give us a clearer vision of who God is in our lives. But at the same time, again, what's one, another big problem with a mountaintop experience? That's where we want to live, isn't it? We want to stay there. We want life-changing adventures all the time. And that's really difficult to do because that's not reality, is it? We have to eventually go down into the valley. And the truth is that oftentimes while you're having that mountaintop experience, the devil is already preparing and orchestrating and advising your next problem or distraction. You might be here, to thinking, here today thinking, hey, that's great. I love coming to church on Sunday. It refreshes me. It gets me revitalized for what takes place during the week. It makes me strong. It builds my faith. And you're on the mountaintop right now. But in about an hour or so from now, there's a good chance that you're going to leave the mountain. You're going to go back to some stuff that the devil is already preparing for you. Making sure that you're going to be distracted and frustrated and their faith is going to go away. This brings up, a, I think, an interesting observation here. The ultimate desire in the world is to destroy your belief, your confidence, and your faith. Why is life so hard? Why is faith so hard? Why is our relationship with Jesus so difficult? Well, the answer is there is an enemy constantly working against that goal, trying to keep you from developing that faith in your life. It's kind of like that mole in your yard. 
You spend all spring, summer, and fall working and mowing and fertilizing and watering and seeding and doing your best to make your lawn look really, really good so that you can brag to the neighbors that you have the best lawn in the neighborhood, right? Until one night that stinking little mole comes along and destroys the whole thing. Or you have grandkids coming over and you prepare the house and you get it all cleaned up and it takes one second for them to take their grimy little fingers and spread all over your front window, right? Or your kids come home after school after you've cleaned all day long and they mess up the whole house once again. There's always something working against us, right? And maybe you were told that God works in this way, but then he didn't. And maybe you thought that God would be there, but then it appeared that he wasn't. And maybe you thought that God would, but he hasn't, and you're not sure if he ever will. And when this happens, it can derail your belief. It can shake your faith. And like this man in our story, we cry out for help. And we want answers, don't we? And, and do you notice the frustration in this man's voice? He comes to Jesus and says, I brought my son to your disciples so that he could be healed, but they couldn't do it. And I thought this would be the answer, and it didn't work. And maybe here's the $79 question for us this morning. Why did it not work? Because you look back through the gospel account there in Mark, you'll find back in chapter 6, the disciples were able to cast out demons. They were able to perform miracles, but now they can't. And look how Jesus responds to them in verse 19. He said, you faithless people, how long must I stay with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. That's pretty harsh coming from Jesus, isn't it? And was it because they had no faith? I don't think that was the case, really. Uh, they had faith, but maybe they had small faith. Maybe they had faith placed in the wrong place. Maybe they had taken their eyes off of Jesus. And Jesus says, you've not been paying attention. Remember what I've done. Remember my healings and my feeding of thousands and raising the dead. And do you recall the event that took place up on the mountaintop? If you can't do this now, now that I'm with you, how will you respond when I am gone? And think about the first time that you reached in your pocket and you turned the keys of your new car over to one of your kids. What did you think? I hope they and the car, I hope they all come back in one piece, right? There was a trust issue going on there, wasn't there? And, and Jesus knows that he's not going to be with them much longer. And so what Jesus does, he says, I'm, I'm turning the keys of the kingdom over to you. How will you respond? And the disciples don't respond in a very good way, do they? In a sense, they just flunked their driving test. And I think that's why Jesus responded in the way that he did. In a sense, he's saying, I wish you would be more prepared. I wish that you had more faith in me. And finally he says, bring the boy to me and let me once again show you who I am. Later he would tell his disciples, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater things. Later Paul would write, for this reason, even though I suffer as I do, I am not ashamed for I know who I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I I have entrusted to him for that day. And aren't those amazing and wonderful words? But again, what's the key to that being reality? Belief, isn't it? Isn't it about faith and belief in Jesus, or maybe more accurately, where we place that faith? 
Zechariah 4 tells us, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so why weren't the disciples able to cast out this demon? Could it be that they were focusing on their own abilities and their own accomplishments? Could it be that they were padding their own social media profiles instead of focusing in on the one who can truly bring help and hope and power and trusting in Jesus? And I believe that we continue to examine the story. I think we'll see that unfolding here. Look what the man says in verse 18. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Verse 22 says that he keeps falling in water and in fire. And I want to take a little bit of a pause and go aside here and take time to look at this son's situation here. He seeks, you see that he keeps falling into the same old stuff. He keeps doing the same old things, and he keeps ending up in the same old places. He keeps falling into the same miserable cycle, doesn't he? Some translations call him a lunatic. He's crazy. He's insane. After all, the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And someone might ask, is that you? Are you guilty of that in your own life? Doing the same things over and over again. And obviously, we're none of us, hopefully, are clinically insane that are here today, but we seem to do some crazy stuff, don't we? Falling in the same mess, the same activity, the same depression, the same dysfunction, the same type of relationship to the extent that we've been falling into the same old stuff so long we're not sure what good stuff looks like anymore. Can you identify? And again, if we saw someone else doing some of the things that we often find ourselves doing, we'd probably say, hey, you're crazy. You need not do that. You need to get your life straight, right? Chasing after the same old escapes through drugs or alcohol, looking for a relationship and the same people and the same personalities, even though the last one didn't work out, putting your hopes and dreams in the same dead-end prospects. And if you're doing some of that, you might be just a little bit crazy. At least that's what we would tell others, but we are often blind to our own shortcomings, aren't we? So how do we keep from getting caught up in this repetitive lifestyle? Well, we need to experience Jesus. And you might ask, can it be that simple? Is it really that easy? Well, let's see. Let's go on in our text. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? We might pause here as well and kind of go, wait a minute, this question seems a little bit odd right here. This boy is having a seizure, he's being attacked by demons, and Jesus wants a medical history? Doesn't that seem a little strange to you today? And we might ask, when was the last time that you went into an emergency room? Now, if you're like me, when you go to an emergency room, you're expecting an emergency, Right? You go in through the doors, you walk up to the desk, there's usually somebody typing there on a computer, and you're either bleeding or you're having pains, and you want some immediate attention, and what do they do? They continue to type, which becomes a little more scary, doesn't it? And they finally look up and say, how can I help you? And you want to go, got this hand that's bleeding, or I have this problem over here, but they kind of listen to you for a short time, but what do they do again? They kind of type a little bit more and they say, let's get some information from you. And you want to scream, right? Hey, I have this problem. And it's really frustrating because they don't seem to see the urgency of our emergency. 
that's taking place. So let me give you some advice today on what you need to do. Make sure that you're good and sick and you make sure that you have a really, really good emergency taking place in your life. Do what I did a few years back, run your fingers through a table saw. I'm telling you, I hit the door, they had me back in a room in 30 seconds, it was great. Yeah, unfortunate though. Maybe you can walk in yelling and using that famous line, it's the big one, Elizabeth, right? They'll give you a good attention there. Or what you might do is check with Tim. He seems to be doing pretty good and getting in and out of hospitals here lately. Yeah, I know. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> but seriously, Jesus really wasn't that interested in a medical history. As much as he was wanting to show the father and the boy and the crowd and the disciples and us how much he truly does care. And notice that when we're in similar situations, oftentimes God is not just there to fix our problem. God is there to build our faith and not just being able to fix our condition so that we can live the good life, so that we can say, God is so good, he has blessed me so much, I, I am so blessed by him, look how much God loves me. And for some of us today, if that's you, where you're going through a time of suffering and pain or you're having to stand beside someone else who's going through difficult times, understand that he does care more about you, more than you can ever imagine. But he's also trying to get you to come to him, to seek him, to focus in on a relationship with him, to experience him. And even through trial, even through pain, even through problems, understand that God will still love us and care for us no matter what our condition. And here's another tough question for us today, and it's simply why. Why do you, you as in you personally, why do you believe? Because the really tough question is, do we believe in a God because he does what we want? Or do we believe in a God because we trust in him even when he doesn't? In our text, the father goes on to say there, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus answers, if you can? As if to say, really here? Kind of reminds me of that old movie, Taxi Driver, where Robert De Niro stands up and says, are you talking to me, All right? Are you talking to me? Do you know who I am? Do you not know that I am the son of God, that I am the great I am, that I am the light of the world? Jesus goes on to say, because everything is possible for him who believes. So Jesus says, yes, I can do anything if you allow me to. Even when I haven't fixed your problem, I can. Even if I choose not to fix your circumstance, I can. And so it's not the level of your faith that counts. It's in whom you place that faith. It's not how much you trust in him, but in whom you are trusting in your life. And the man's question here is really not that unreasonable if you think about it. How many of you people do you know in your life that you've seen come through the doors of this church or really any other church and maybe they proclaim the faith in Jesus Christ and they get involved, but then they fall away? Could it be because they were placing their faith in the wrong place? Could it be because they were placing their faith in the wrong people? 
the wrong person. Too often, people place their faith in the church or in the people of the church, and we know the results of that. We are imperfect. We don't measure up to Jesus, and because of that, people are sadly disappointed. Our job is to lead people to Jesus where they can experience him because he is never a disappointment. Now again, I love this man's response. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And who hasn't prayed that prayer at some time in some form in their lives before? I do believe. I wouldn't have come to you, Jesus, if I didn't believe. But the question is, do I believe in you enough to give you full trust in my life? And notice what's going on here while all this discussion is taking place. It's sort of amazing here. Back in verse 20, the boy's still rolling around on the ground. He's being attacked by this demon. He's having this, this seizure, this fit. And as a parent, how could you even have a conversation with all this going on? And maybe that's proof of how bad this man's life was. He's seen it so many times. I think most of us would just say, Jesus, hey, could you fix this problem and then we'll talk theology? But he doesn't do that. I think he doesn't do that simply because... Jesus wasn't there just to fix the problem. He was growing this man's faith. And he was growing the faith of those that were there as disciples and as the crowd. And hopefully he's growing our faith here today and hearing this account. And notice that Jesus wasn't in a hurry because he was the one in charge. He already knew the outcome of the story. And Jesus commanded the evil spirit to come out, and the boy shook and one more time, and it came out, but the boy appeared to be dead. And how did the crowd respond after seeing what Jesus is able to do? They say, look, Jesus has killed this boy. This is horrible. They begin murmuring, he must be dead. And isn't that just like us people to continue to doubt more and more in the darkest moments of people's lives, and maybe even as God is working in our lives? Verse 27 says, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up to his feet, and he stood. No matter what Satan knocks to the ground, in the worst of moments that take place in our lives, Jesus will pick us up. That no matter how broken or how low or how messed up you are, Jesus promises to take us by the hand and restore us back into what he wants us to be. Now back to our, the question that we had earlier, why? Why couldn't the disciples take care of this situation? Well, look at verses 28 and 29. It says, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't, they drive, or why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And understand that th this really isn't a lesson on how to cast out demons here or to how the disciples should perform miracles no, it's a lesson on whom or where we place our trust. In Matthew's account, it says that this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. And again, don't get caught up in the logistics. Don't get caught up in the procedures or the details or the process. Jesus is saying you place your trust in the only place that brings power. And why is prayer and fasting so important? Well, that's where we find God and where we connect with him and where we learn to experience him. He says to the disciples, you're relying on your own power. You're not seeking where that power comes from. And how does that power arrive? It arrives through prayer. 
And how often have you heard someone say in their lives, I never would have made it through that situation, that problem, that difficult time in my life if it wasn't because of prayer. I could have made it if it wasn't because of my relationship that I had with Jesus. But oftentimes we ignore that situation, don't we? How often do we look to the things of this world for the solutions and the problems and we look to our own abilities and our own experiences and our own means instead of looking towards true help and that is through Jesus. And here's our takeaway for today. It's admitting that I can do nothing without Jesus. And aren't most mountaintop experiences, aren't they often where we find ourselves saying, I am in this huge place where I feel so small. And isn't that the key to our pursuit of God? It's not that I, I'm in trouble, I'm, I have a problem, I am failing here, I am sick, I need help. Please save me, Lord, but it is, you are an amazing God, and I am nothing without you. I love how Paul says it in Philippians chapter 3 where he says, I have no confidence in the flesh. That nothing we do really matters without Jesus. And all that I do and all that I am is because of him. That's what the father cried when he said, I do believe, help my unbelief. He's saying, I'm not good at this faith stuff. And how many of us have been there too? Wouldn't it be great always to be on the spiritual high and on the mountaintop all the time and always feel like we're connected closely to God? But we know the reality. We all mess up. We all fail. We all lose focus. And we try to do things on our own, in our own power, and we take our eyes off Jesus. So let me encourage you all today to pray the prayer that we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Have you prayed that prayer in your life? Lord, help me experience Jesus today. And have you ever prayed, help me in my unbelief? And have you ever prayed, Lord, help me grow in my faith and help me serve you and help me do great things for you and because of you? And like the disciples, there is a lesson for us to learn as well, and that, that is the Mount of Transfiguration was displayed to show the glory of God, and the episode in the valley was to show that it can be at work at anywhere, at any time. And those mountaintop experiences are there to give us a glimpse of who God is. But you see, God is not just giving us a glimpse of who he is. He's trying to build our faith. He's not just trying to first fix our condition, but he's trying to draw us to him. So the challenge for you who are like the father, and you're hurting, and maybe you're hurting on behalf of someone else, we need to remember that that doesn't often change the reality, but prayer is where help truly comes from. We lean on Jesus most when we pray. Someone said, don't let your prayers go unanswered because they go unprayed. Because you're, if you're really wanting to experience Jesus, if you're really wanting to develop your, your faith, if you're really wanting to hear the voice of God on a daily basis, you should be talking to your Lord on a daily basis. 
asking, what would you have me do? How can I serve you today, Lord? How can I be obedient to you today, Lord? How can I share the message of Jesus as Savior in our world today, Lord? That all comes through prayer. Don't let your prayers go unanswered because they go unprayed. Or maybe you're just simply looking for that next great adventure. You're not sure what Jesus is all about, but you're just wanting to live the good life, and that's not a bad thing. Remember that there's no greater life than experiencing life through Jesus Christ. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.